come back, and uh, preferably not by foot, but by boat or airplane or train, something like that. But it was a great time, and and uh, it's good to be home in the hills. Thanks be with you. I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning, go to Second Samuel, if you will, and and this morning I want to talk to you about dealing with failure. Because as a human being, every one of us in this room have dealt with failure. Every one of us have had things that's happened that that we fell short in, we messed up, we blew it, we we we, we had to scratch and start over. Turn me down just a little bit if you don't mind back there, Misty. Um, but failure is something that's going to happen in everyone's life. It has happened in yours, it has happened in mine, and it will happen again more than likely. And so but what's so important about failure is knowing how I deal with it. You know, what are, what are the ramifications and what takes place when failure happens in my life and how do I deal with it? And failure is something that is very normal or there's not a justification for it. It doesn't mean you have to live in failure. But all of us have fallen short of some things at some point in our life, either through our marriage, either with our children, our work, or even personally, there's things we fall short in. So let me just throw a few things out at you. Dealing with failure, can I recover? When will it ever be good again? Am I forgivable? Am I worth saving? And I think those are very legitimate things that people go through in the midst of failure. Am I worth saving? Am I worth it? Is there anything good enough about me? Is there anything salvageable about me? Can I be forgiven and move on? Will it ever get any better? Can it? Can I recover? Will it ever get good again? Am I forgivable? Uh, am I worth saving? And, and what happens with whenever failure takes place in your life, and you look at yourself, and regardless of the element in your life, regardless of the season or the period that it's taking place in your life, those are things that run through your mind. Can it change? Can I change? Will it ever get better? And the thing is this, if you depend on you, it probably won't. If you only depend on your ability with where you are, things probably won't change a lot. They might get a little better, and there might be some disciplines, but without something greater than you influencing your life, it's really not going to change because Many times when failure takes place, if you're not cautious, it becomes a pattern in your life. And you have highs and lows, and you begin to live in those failures. And then you overcome, then you go back to failures. Oh, is there recovery? Is there healing? Absolutely. But it isn't found in your ability. It isn't found in reading a book, except this book. It isn't found in, in somebody just lording over you or condemning you. It's found in grace. It's found in mercy. And let me ask you this morning, what is the difference between grace and mercy? What is the difference? And often we lump them together, but, but they're different. They're distinguishedly different. God has blanketed us, every one of us, with grace. He has blanketed America with grace, with opportunity for something to be different. And every one of us in this room have been blanketed with grace, whether you recognize it or not. That is the favor of God. Even though you don't earn it, it's out there and it's available. Mercy is this. When you come to a place of failure and you fall on your knees and you get before God and you say, Father, I am sorry or the one you failed, or whatever the condition may be. Mercy is at that giving moment. It's when it is given to you at the moment of repentance, and something has to be issued. You're either going to be issued forgiveness and mercy, or you're not going to be offered it. But there's distinctly different. Grace is something that's given to us, not based on our response, not based on our performance, but it's out here simply because God is a God of grace. And he blankets us all with the ability for changes if we will embrace it. Now, when it comes to failure, you have to recognize that. And once you recognize failure, then you have to come to a place of asking for mercy. There's a distinct difference. Grace is there. That's just how he operates. When he brings favor in your life and he brings direction. But when you come to a place of dealing with failure, it's when you get specific. 
Mr. Father, I know your grace has been there the whole time, but now I need your mercy. And regardless of who you are this morning, you may be at a place that you need mercy. Maybe you've not recognized the grace and maybe you didn't embrace it before the failure came. But now that the failure's there, you're trying to embrace this and you're trying to desire mercy. Not because you're deserving of it, but, but it's something that we seek. Uh, I remember reading a story about Tony Evans. Anybody know Tony Evans? Is he pastors down in, in Texas. He's a black fellow and very intelligent, great teacher. And, and he said he was late to a speaking engagement. He was traveling really fast there and in Texas, and he was trying to get there, and he gets pulled over by an officer. No, he didn't have a little mirror, and it wasn't that story. But he gets pulled over, and when he gets pulled over, he talks to the officer and tells him, I'm sorry, I know I deserve the ticket. Just give it to me, and I'll go on my way. And so the officer says, you know, you know what? I understand. Just slow down and get to your, uh, your destination safely, and don't speed anymore. He said, I thought, great, that's mercy. He gets in his vehicle, takes off down the road. He's going again. He starts picking up his speed. He again exceeds the speed limit. A mile and a half down the road, another officer passes him, catches him speeding, pulls him over a second time. This officer recognizes who he is. He's talking to him about going to speak, and the officer says, you know what? I'm going to have a little mercy. About that time, the other officer just pulled him over, goes by and radios that guy and tells him, I just pulled that guy over back there. And guess what? Mercy was not extended. See, the grace was there. The mercy wasn't. And in our lives, there's times and, and things that happen that, that we've got to learn to deal with failures. And the first thing I want to talk to you about, and I've said this before in a, in a Max Licato story. I'm going to read you something in a few minutes. But my failure is not fatal. And often we think that because we've had a failure at the end of a rope, we can't go on any longer. It's too bad. It's too horrible. And it isn't. Your failure is not fatal. The only way it's fatal is that you don't extend mercy. You don't ex- embrace mercy. You may feel unworthy of it, but I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to look at the life of David uh, this morning a little bit and go through some things about him. In chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him, and he said unto him, There were two men in the city, one rich and the other poor. And the poor man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, and the rich man had rich man and many exceedingly flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had which he had bought and nursed up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, and it laid in his bosom, and was unto him like a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take one of his own flocks and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come to him. But he took the poor man's one lamb, and he dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said unto Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this shall surely die. And he shall restore the land fourfold, because he did, not, he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Now this is the deal. There was something going on here, and David was so blind. And this is where I want to talk to you really candidly for a few minutes, because I want you to evaluate yourself. And I'm going to ask you to look at yourself in an honest perspective, and I want you to look at yourself with, with no one else around you, just you and God. What is it in your life that there's an issue that you're blinded to? What is it that you have justified? What is it in your life that you have condoned and you've made it not to be that big of a deal and it's become part of your nature and part of your, your daily routine? But if you'll be honest with yourself and you'll pay attention to the story, God will speak to your heart this morning. Because I know, I've been in church my whole life and I know what's solid and I know what isn't. But as I begin to share this with you, David was completely unaware 
of the message from Nathan because he was blinded to his own failure. The worst thing that can happen in your life and my life is when we are blinded to ourselves. One of the most critical things about anyone maturing and growing in their walk with the Lord is that you're able to look at yourself squarely in the eye, in the mirror, and you can say the truth. God is faithful. God is graceful. God is merciful. Or you can say, God, I need your mercy. I come to a place of repentance. And so David is angry because this rich guy took something from a poor person. And he embezzled it from him, if you will. The unjust, the unjust failure is just to those. Um, let's try to reread this right. The unjust failure to these is, is those that he affects. The things that we do in our failure is the injustice that affects everyone else. The blindness to self as the failure in us is a process, a hardening of our heart, the self-centeredness of our failures. And here's the thing about revel, uh, a revel. Uh, oh man, Lord, help me on this. A revelation, that's the word, not a revolution. But a revelation is when you can look at yourself and recognize that it isn't everybody else, but it's me. I'm the one with the failure. I'm the one with the attitude. I'm the one with the issue that's gnawing on me, but I've always justified it. It's never been that big a deal because I've always justified my behavior and my actions. And what happens is your failure is affecting everyone around you. So how do I deal with failures? Is it fatal? Is it going to kill me? Well, the potential is there for fatal, for something to be fatal. Look at verse 7. And Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave ye thy master's house, thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if it had been not enough, I would have moreover had given you such things and such things. Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now here's the thing. David thought through manipulation of things and setting things up in order that he could set it all up and make him look like he did nothing wrong. But the issue was this. David was not content with what God had given him. He wanted more. He had become greedy. We, had, we know we had concubines. He had wives. He had, as we read in Scripture, he had the wives of Saul that were passed down, which is humiliation towards Saul. There's a whole lot of things going on here, but he wasn't content. And in his failure, it could have been fatal. So how did he respond? What was his response? David had become exempt to seeing himself. And friends, there's not many of us in this room who have not become exempt to looking at our own self honestly. It's really easy to do this and look at everybody else and pick out every little issue that everybody else has. But to me, but me and my own self and looking at myself, I'm fine. It's everyone else who has the issue. And that's the way we flow. And that's the way we, we create issues within our marriages, within our relationships, because it becomes so self-centered. I'd like you to go a little bit farther if you would. Um, go to chapter 21 of 2 Samuel. Chapter 21. Was it, faith, was it fatal for David? No, but it was painful. Was there consequences? Yes. And I started to go into this this morning about Sunday school and Sunday school a little bit about the life of David. Let me tell you what happens with failures. If failures are not recognized and you continue in them and you justify them, the effects become much greater and widespread, and it becomes devastating to a lot of people. 
if you look at the life of David, and a lot of times you read scripture, and you've heard me talk about this before, this is Revelation, the things that are written don't happen one day after another. If that was the case, everything was written in about two months in scripture. You know, it takes years for these events to take place, and and all that was going on with David and Bathsheba glimpsed it into one little scenario, but more than likely there was a little more to this scenario of him seeing her on the rooftop. I don't think they were together once. I think it was a variety of things that went on. But what took place is when David refused to repent. And you may think that repentance is not that big a deal. I'm going to give you a, 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 something that I feel is how we operate in spiritual things. If David had recognized his repentance, he would have stepped into that repentance and it would have begun to alleviate a lot of issues in his family. But because David continued to live for years in this mentality, it began to have side effects. It had side effects with his kids and their relationships with him and his son uh, Absalom. There was a lot of things that took place. His firstborn with Bathsheba passed away. There's a whole lot of things that begins to set in order when we don't come to a place of repentance. Second Samuel chapter 21. But let me tell you what happens when you do come to a place of repentance. When you do come to a place of repentance and you recognize your failure, it begins to put things in motion for your life to begin to benefit not just you, but those that come after you. This is a passage that we have I've actually shared before and we've heard other people preach on it at some point, I'm sure, in chapter 21 and verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him. And he fought against the Philistines, and David waxed what? Faint. He became weak. He became injured. And Ishbenob, which is one of the sons of the giant, and the weight of the spear weighed 300 shekels of brass and weight. He being girded with a sword, thought he had to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeriam, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear to him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this, there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. And Sabakai, the Hebeshai, slew Saph, which is of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where Elihan, the son of Jerogam, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a beaver's wing. A weaver's beam. There we go. You all read these words. You try it. And there was yet a battle in Gath, and there was a man of great stature, and on every hand he had six fingers, and on his feet six toes, four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giants. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant of Gath, and they fell by the hand of David, by the hand of his servants. Why? Now, let me tell you why this took place. Because when David was finally at a place that he recognized failure was there, he repented. Now, he could have been like Solomon and didn't listen. He could have went on his own way. And you can do the same thing this morning. But let me tell you what failure always creates. When you recognize failure and you see a place in your life when you're in it and you don't come to a place of repentance and you go on with the failure, it creates cancer in your spirit. And those things begin to create and they begin to have these voids and these places in your life that begins to eat you up from the inside out. Because what happens after failure when you don't come to repentance, you live the rest of your life with regret. You remember when Absalom died? You know the scripture, when Absalom died, David's heart was ripped out because he never took the time to restore things with his son. Well, you're going to have to get moving. Second point. Is failure is not futile. There's a lot of things about our failures we can learn from. I'd like you to go to Luke, if you will, in chapter 8. Failures are not futile. 
sometimes we feel like, well, I went too far, I've done too much, and, you know, I'm not worth saving, and why would God want to use me, or why would God have mercy on me? It's just the way he rolls, that's how he is, that's his nature. I know a lot of people looked at their own life and thought, man, I'm, I'm not worthy of anything he could give me. But in Luke chapter 8 and verse 2, we're going to read it. And a certain and certain women which have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Jump over to verse 4. And when much people were gathered together, there come to, come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up, and they choked it out. Another fell on good ground, and it sprang up, and it bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, What does this mean? I'm not going to go any farther. But you can read the rest of your own self at some point. But here's the thing about these ladies. There was a special point made about ladies who had been delivered of demonic oppression, demonic things that were going on. And Jesus goes instantly from these women who were set free, who came to hear him teach, and he brought up the point about things being uh, fruitful and things changing and things producing. And in every one of your lives, you may have been at times failure, but it doesn't mean that God cannot bring fruit out of your life regardless. It is not futile. Your failure is a great learning lesson and ability to springboard you into a place that no one else would have ever imagined. What, what, he brought, what brought her to this point of coming back to him? What brought her to this point of coming to see him? What her deliverance? What had happened to this girl? Let me ask you this. What had she been exposed to? Whenever we were on our trip this past week, I seen people and, and I'd watch their lives and listen to them talk and their behavior. And I think, Lord, what have they been through? What have they seen? What have they experienced? Why, why do they think the way they think? Why are they operating in the ways they operate? What was it that took place? But the thing that changed her, because she was exposed to no telling what, was that she came to a place of recognizing after the deliverance that she needed somebody that was greater than her. Your failures and your shortcomings are not futile if it will change you. Luke chapter 7 and verse uh, 36 through 40. And one of the Pharisees desired that he would eat with him, and he went into a Pharisee's house, and he sat down to meet, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meet in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet, and be, behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears, and to wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, If this man were a prophet, he would have known what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. She is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he began to talk about the creditors. Here's the thing. What it took place with that woman who had a reputation of sin, and we know pretty much she was an immoral woman. But what drew her to Jesus' feet? Repentance. Failure. Not good enough. Not accepted. Not embraced. Not like everyone else. Something brought her to a place that she recognized her failure was going to be final, but it didn't have to be futile. Now stay with me. A lot of times we go through life with our hang-ups and our issues. And let me tell you things that people deal with. You all deal with things. We all deal with things. Some of you deal with, with battling alcohol. Some of you deal with, with, with uh, maybe smoking weed or, or taking pills, prescription pills, because we think they're not as big a deal, but they are just a big a deal. They're an addiction, and you struggle with it. Some of you deal with sexual issues, maybe immoral uh, and more heterosexual uh, issues and some of you deal and are tempted with homosexual issues. Here's the truth about sin. 
Every one of us got to deal with it. Every one of us have to recognize it. And for some reason, we try to say, well, this is just the way I am. This is my nature. And it isn't. It's still sin. Your failure does not have to be futile. It can be prosperous. And you can recognize it and change it if you come to a place of repentance. And you say, Father, you know. I don't know. You know everything about me. You know every one of my failures. And friend, it would be futile if you never come to a place of repentance. And you'll go to your grave living in failure. I'm going to read something to you, and, and then we're going to close the last point, and I've got a video in closing. This isn't something I haven't read before. It's, it's one of my famous short stories or short writings of Max Licato. The handwriting was shaky. The stationery was lined, loose-leaf paper. How many of y'all know who Max Licato is? How many of y'all know he's Church Christ? How many of y'all know that? That's just unique because somebody here this morning said they used to go to Church Christ. The stationery was lined, loose-leaf paper. The ink was black and the tone desperate. The note was dated February 6, 1974, and it was addressed to the United States government. I'm sending $10 for blankets that I stole when I was in World War II. My mind could not rest. I'm sorry I'm late. It was signed an XGI. Then there was this postscript, I want to be ready to meet God. This recruit was not alone in his guilt. His letter of, is one of literally tons of letters that have been sent to the U.S. government since it began collecting and storing letters in 1811. Since that time, three and a half million dollars have been deposited into called the Conscious Fund in the U.S. government. An average of $45,000 per year is received. The biggest year was 1950, in which $350,000 was given to the federal government by guilty consciences. One man was riding from Brazil, sent $50 to cover the cost of two pair of cavalry boots. Two pairs of trousers, one case of KC rations, and 30 pounds of frozen meat he stole from the army between 1943 and 1946. In some instances, the amounts were small, only the remorse is big. One Colorado woman sent in two eight-cent stamps to make up for having used one stamp twice. For some reason, it hadn't been canceled. A former IRS employee mailed in a dollar for four ballpoint pens that she never returned to the office. In Salem, Ohio, a man submitted a dollar with the following note. When I was a boy, I put some pennies on the railroad track and flattened them. Anybody ever do that? How many of y'all paid the government back for your pennies? Absolutely not. All right. Yes, you should. All right. I also used a dime and, and give somebody their tape back that you taped it on there with. All right. I also used a, uh, I also used a dime or a quarter in silver coating experiments in high school. I understand there is a law against defacing money. I have not seen it, but I desire to be a law-abiding citizen. Anxiety over a 30-year-old mistake, really? Regret over a mashed, smashed penny? A guilty conscience of a ballpoint pen? If the struggle to have a clean conscience wasn't so common, the letters actually would be funny. But the truth is, this struggle is common, or it should be, in every one of our lives. What do you do with your failures? Our mistakes come to us as pebbles, small little stones that serve as souvenirs of our stumbling. We carry them in our hands, and soon our hands are full of them. We put them in our pockets, and soon our pockets are bulging. We place them in a bag, and we put it over our shoulder. The burlap scratches and chaps our bag, and soon yes, the bag is full of yesterday's failures because it's so heavy, now we're dragging it. Here's some failures that's come into my office. Unfaithfulness. He wants to try again, she said. He wants to try again, and she said, no way. He wanted a second chance, and she said, you blew your chance. 
He admitted he was made a mistake by seeing the other woman. He sees that now as a mistake that was fatal to his marriage. Homosexuality. His wrists bore the scars of a suicide attempt. His arms had tracks from countless needles. His eyes reflected the spirit of one hell-bent on self-destruction. His words were those of a prisoner grimly resigned to the judge's sentence. I'm gay. My dad says I'm a queer, and I guess my dad's right. Division. A church leadership demanded uh, submission. A membership demanded a louder voice. It was a bomb waiting to explode. The eruption resulted in a half-empty building of wounded, walking believers. Immorality. She came to church with a pregnant womb and a repented, a repented spirit. I, have a, I can't have a child, she pleaded. We will find a home for it, she was assured, and she agreed. Then she changed her mind, and her boyfriend funded the abortion. Can God ever forgive me? Nothing's ever come with more stuff than this. I've been a sack of pills. If you could do it all again, you'd do it differently. You'd be a different person. You'd be patient. You control your tongue. You finish what you started. You turn the other cheek instead of slapping him. You'd get married first. You wouldn't get married at all. You'd be honest. You'd resist temptation. You'd run with a different crowd. The truth of the matter is, we all have failures. But what are you doing with yours? What are you doing with yours? Just two people. I'm going to ask you to get the video ready if you would. There were two people that had failures. One's name was Peter. He denied the Lord three times. The Lord looked at him, and then in Acts chapter 2, he preached the message, and he talked to people about their hearts coming to a place of repentance. And when repentance came, 3,000 people gave their heart to Christ. We have another guy in the Old Testament. His name was Moses. He was a Hebrew. He was put in a basket and, and sent down the river, and, and, and Pharaoh's daughter found him and raised him in the ways of Pharaoh in the Egyptian way. And when at chapter 11, chapter 2 and verse 11, he was beginning to go out and look at his native people, the Hebrews, the Jewish people. And when he went out, he seen a Hebrew boy being beaten. Here's the deal. God was not in Moses murdering the Egyptians. He wasn't. Moses messed up the plan that God had initially. He raised him up in that place to come in leadership and deliver God's people. But he had a failure. Sometimes in your life and my life, we look at our failures and think, well, I've already done it. Friend, the biggest lie you can ever embrace is I've already done it. I'm just going to live with it. Friend, let me tell you what happens to people that just continue to open living with their failures. If we don't deal with our failures, the failure will follow you to the next spot and to the next spot and to the next spot. And you're going to run out of people. You're going to be a 70-year-old man or a 70-year-old woman. You're going to sit and look back at all the people you always blame for your failures. But the reality is this. There's one to blame, and that's me. That's it. We're going to show a video. This is a uh, kind of a compilation, if you will, of, of the Brownsville revival and things that took place there years ago. <clears throat> but the name of the song that, that you'll see people going through the altars the name of the song is Forgiveness, and that's it. There's something that's so powerful about those words that if mercy is extended, the grace is there, but if mercy is extended and it's given, 
it's life changing. I want you to start in this morning.
what was happening, what was happening, <coughs> what was happening at the Brownsville Revival was, it was a normal Sunday morning service, nothing exceptional except Steve Hill had contacted John Kilpatrick and asked if he could come and speak that weekend, and he allowed him to come. If you'll hear John Kilpatrick talk about it, he was wanting the service to be over. He was exhausted. He'd been gone. He was tired. <coughs> he wanted the service to be over. And what took place that day was something no different than this. Steve Hill gave a message, and he compelled people to forget their failures and come to a place of repentance. And that's basically it. What was it that caused those people to break in the presence of the Lord? What was it that was so moving in their life? They begin to weep and sob uncontrollable. What was it? What is it about the conscience of man that God placed within us to know the ability and how to de decipher between right and wrong? Even though it's painful and even though it's awkward and even though it's, it's not very easy to recognize when you're the one that's failure and you have created failures, you have created issues. What is it that brought these people? And as I watched the video, I began to think about all these people, young people, old people in their seats standing. Some were exuberant in worship, others on their face before him. The altars were full. Why? What had happened in those people's lives? I'll tell you what it is. They were not afraid that moment to say, I'm in failure. I've fallen short. There's something missing. And Lord, I know that you are my answer. And it's the same way here this morning. Friend, he is. Your only hope. He is your only answer. Because failure is inevitable in all of our lives to some degree. But when we recognize and we say, Lord, I come to you. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. I ask you that my life will not be futile. My life will not be a failure. My life will not be, Lord God, it will not be fatal. That's so that's what I'm going to ask you this morning. If your life is riddled with failure. And something is happening. Something's going on. And friend, you may be in church every week. And you can be out living in failure every day of the week through your phone, through a relationship, and doing things you shouldn't be doing. Stopping by the wrong store, picking up the wrong things, going to the wrong person's house, and picking up things at their house that they are known to distribute, if you know what I'm talking about. Those are failures, and they're personal, and they're within the church. Often we think it's always out there, but it isn't. It's amongst church people every week. And it is. There's no one here to cast a glance at you or to point a finger or to run you down. If that's their problem, that's their problem. That it's not this church's. We want everyone to come to repentance. We want everyone to overcome your failures. We want everyone to have a direction that is not labeled by all of your failures because we all have them. But friend, it's how you're dealing with it this morning. You may have done the same thing last night you've been doing for the past two years. It still doesn't make you right. And you're living in failure, and here's the deal. It's only going to get worse. It will not get better. It just won't. That's the way sin operates. It creates a, a vacuum, and it starts sucking. It's like a black hole. A black hole wants to bring everything into that one small spot. But it always starts with something small, and then it sucks everything else in. Friend, you're here this morning. I'm asking you. Actually, I'd almost be to the point of begging you. Friend, if you're in the middle of failure, do something about it. It's not going to happen by saying, well, well, that really spoke to me today. I 